growth isn't a coincidence. It's about thoughtful planning and purposeful execution. Join growth marketer, watch collector, and pro wrestling enthusiast, Barry Rodriguez, as he talks to successful entrepreneurs, business owners, marketers, and consultants, and gets them to share highlights of their own growth journey so that you can enrich yours. And now, here's your host, Barry Rodriguez. Hey everyone, and welcome to the new and improved version of the Talking Growth Podcast with me, your host, Barry Rodriguez. If you're, um, if you're a marketer, a salesperson, entrepreneur, aspiring entrepreneur, or simply somebody who wants to grow your business or grow professionally, the Talking Growth Podcast is for you. We interview leading and upcoming entrepreneurs and get insights from their growth journey so that you can enrich yours. Today, we're speaking with Andreas Voniatis, the founder of Artios, a data-driven SEO consulting company. Andrea started with search engine optimization way back in 2003 and has never looked back. Based in London, he works with clients from all over the world. He's helped a variety of businesses across a range of industries from tech startups to global brands like Amazon rank higher and get found quicker. Andreas believes that because Google is an algorithm, the best way to get it to work for you is to use data science to understand search intent and find quick wins. His mission is to help ambitious and committed startups, agencies, and other consultants achieve high growth using data-driven SEO and reduce the reliance on paid ads. Andreas, thanks for making it to Talking Growth, uh, especially this new this new avatar of Talking Growth. It's a pleasure to have you. I'm actually pretty excited uh, because we do a lot of like brand-related, video-related talks. This is going to be slightly more technical focused i think it is uh so i'm really excited um tell us what have you been doing currently um and how have you been uh i've been well i've been busy um repositioning uh artios as uh as a consulting practice uh we offer 200 percent uh roi on your seo investment so i've been uh reconfiguring the seo the data science models to make sure that we could deliver on that promise and that guarantee. Very nice. 200% ROI. Now this is something we're going to get into, uh, at a, at a later stage. So for the absolute newbies, right? People that have heard about SEO and search engine optimization. Um, can you break down SEO in its simplest definition? Yeah. Uh, SEO is effectively, getting or optimizing your web content to appear at the top of the search results. How can, like, what's, if, if someone were to come to you and say, Hey, listen, I know about this SEO thing. Uh, I've heard about it. I read, I read a bit, a bit, a bit about it. I'm a small business. Where do I start? I'm, let's say for instance, I'm a brick and mortar business. Where should I start? How should I start with SEO? What would you tell them? Uh, start with your keywords. So, um, understanding your audience by far, uh, working out what kind of, um, what kind of search phrases they would use to search for the products and services that you sell. Uh, and this is all assuming of course, that you've got the marketing fundamentals in place. If you don't have those in place, such as, you know, what is your positioning? What is your messaging? And what channels would your 
uh, your your audiences would find you in until you got those right no 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 channel like seo is going to help you that's right i gotta add actually no most channels won't help you if you don't know what your positioning <laughs> yeah, is. Pretty this is yeah this is this is a problem that a lot of you know I, I face a lot of times when i'm dealing with clients who say oh we want to do i don't know paid ads or we want to do seo or we want to do content okay. marketing but they don't really understand. I mean, if I ask them, what is your positioning? Who do you want to target? Do you have a buyer persona? They won't any have any of those things. And this kind of puts you in, in a very tough spot because then you're thinking, okay, it's it's very cliched. It becomes like a chicken and the egg situation. And what comes first? Mm. Uh, but 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 I think in this case, it's it's absolutely important to have some kind of a strategy. Know how you're positioning your brand or your product so that you can actually explore what the alternatives are maybe you might actually after you do this exercise you might find out that you don't need seo you know you need to do something else you might indeed yeah so um you recommend you know i've, I've read up on your i've read this on your website and on your linkedin profile you recommend using data science to understand search intent uh to find quick wins how can you can you can you elaborate on that what exactly do you mean how would how would you use data science yeah so um look google is and other search engines their algorithms now the bad news is that the search engines don't tell you what works the good news is that data science can work that out all for you in a very precise manner um so it can tell you what ranking factors work what activities you should focus on uh, it basically tells you what works and it tells you what numbers you need to hit in order to leapfrog the competition. You can't get that from generic best practice SEO advice. Right. And what's the best way of starting? I know earlier you said you've got to know your keywords and beyond that, obviously know your position and stuff. But what's your what's the best way of starting? Let's say you have let's say you have your you, you know where you're positioning yourself as a brand or as a product uh, and you know the keywords you've put yourself in your in your searchers in your prospects shoes after that how would you start yeah so what you need to do is you need to understand the the organic search landscape that you and your you you and your competitors uh, are operating in so by knowing the keywords you're going to know which sites are appearing to various degrees for your um for your for your search space for your business so you're going to know which sites have the most top tens, uh, the average ranking of your competitors and your your own business um, for your target keywords, and you're going to know uh, who's got the most um, search engine share, if you like, uh, within that organic search space. And understanding all of that lets you know where you are versus your competitors. Once you understand that, then you know which competitors you need to data scrape in order to analyze um, all the different hypothetical ranking factors so you can start getting into the numbers and seeing what's going to work and what's not going to work are there any uh tools that you recommend free tools maybe some paid ones you know maybe start with free tools that people can yeah. use well yes i mean the free tool uh would be uh, Core Web Vitals because that tells you uh, how fast your your pages are loading. It tells you um, it, it tells you how much stability your pages have when they're loading, 
and it tells you things like um it also tells you how long it takes until the user can interact with your website but the thing is uh, a tool like that um whilst it's quite useful um and everybody wants to hit that 90 percent or above score the thing is you might find that uh, and only data science can reveal this for you you might find that actually you only need a score of 72 to leapfrog the competition that's why you need to be taking measurements not just on your site but also your competitors but that's one tool uh other tools i recommend are semrush uh, ahrefs uh, you've got Google Search Console, that's a free tool, although they won't give you any intelligence on your competitors. Uh, they're, they're a good source for uh, keyword research. Right, at least knowing industry ten, trends and stuff. Well, just knowing um, what keywords people are using to uh, get to, to reach your website, what pages are the most popular. It gives you a lot of um, reporting on some some reporting on the technical aspects of your website so there's there's loads of tools uh python will help you make sense of these tools because python has the data science libraries and python is free that's the ultimate seo tool in my opinion what is uh i don't i know we, i don't want to touch too much on on paid ads and stuff but what is search automation and how can you use it to optimize campaigns at scale yeah, so search optimization, there's really two levels to that. Uh, on the very sort of enterprise level, uh, automate the automotive aspects are where you can uh, set rules on the server of your website so that your site effectively self-optimizes and reduces all the sort of uh, errors uh, that you don't want Google to see. Uh, and on another level, uh, on a more sort of small business level, uh, search automation allows you to speed up the processes that help you get the insights to work out what it is you need to do precisely in order to leapfrog your competition. So, um, for example, you might want to cluster your web, your your keywords according to. Uh, their search intent, you know, do three to five keywords, even though they're completely different or different in, in terms of the way they're phrased, do they all have the same user intent in terms of what the user wants to achieve when they land on your website? And data science and search autom automation can do that really well. And in terms of benefiting your, your ad groups in Google Ads, um, if, your, if your ad groups are only holding keywords that share the same search intent, then you're going to get a much better quality score, which is obviously going to improve your return on advertising spend. Right, right, right. That makes that makes so much sense, actually. Um, okay, so now we're gonna move over to voice search. And I know, I, I've been talking about voice search quite a lot in, in a lot of my posts on LinkedIn and just generally when I speak with clients. How is, is, how is voice search different or is it different? And how, is, how do you think voice search is gonna impact SEO? Well, voice, voice search, it's gonna impact SEO in the sense that it's probably going to uh, add an additional operational layer uh, if it hasn't already, in fact, uh, certainly on the enterprise end. So um, 
you know, as we as you've probably seen, the younger generation they are less interested um, in typing uh, typing into into Google uh, what they're looking for, and they find it a lot more fun and interactive when they play with Alexa or Google Home advice uh, device um, in order to search for things and get answers. And in terms of SEO, it, it it's just another tick box thing to do really, which is to autom- optimize your content using schema tags and to make sure that um, voice search engines can pick those things up so they can best rank. But I think from a wider marketing perspective, I think it asks critical questions of brands, which is what should my brand sound like? Okay. That, okay. That's, that's, that's the first time I've heard that because from a slightly technical point of view, when you're looking at marketing, when you're talking about marketing, you say, okay, I was thinking of more in the lines of, you know, having a feature snippet, because I know if I ask Google home or Alexa or whatever, something, they're going to read something that is pulled off a, off of a feature snippet. Uh, and then if, you know, if I, if that, whatever information I've got, it holds my interest, then I'll dig deep and further. But if not, I'm just going to go on and look for something else. But, but what you said is quite interesting. Well, the, the uh, schema.org is what enables feature snippets to um, to appear on the search results. That's why uh, schema.org would also apply to voice search. I'm going to break it down a little bit further. I know this is, for you, this is probably too basic. But again, for the newbies and maybe for me, how exactly does Google rank content? Yeah, so there's... Uh, <laughs> There's three areas. Without, um, we don't we don't want to we don't want to go into a, like a workshop, but you know, just in a couple of minutes, if you can tell us, it'll be yeah, interesting because yeah, yeah. I think when when people get a better understanding, a better perspective, then you, they can layer their content better, plan it better. Yeah, absolutely. So look, there's there's three three core pillars of SEO. Uh, first pillar is is technical, and that's the interaction of Google with your website. Can it can it um, can it find the content? Can it access the URLs containing your content? And when it does find the content, uh, can it actually extract it and put it put a copy onto its own search engines? Okay. So the first part is what we call crawling, which is like content discovery. And the second part is, is what we call indexing, which is actually extracting the content and putting it into the search engine database. Okay. And then so the search engines they crawl around the web, they they go on the web and 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 um, they're looking to ex- to interact with websites for the purpose of extracting content. And then the second pillar is 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 that okay? Well, with that content, you know, uh, what sh- what search phrases should it appear for? So um, so search engines do a lot of work trying to understand. Uh, what that content is about and what it would be useful for and therefore what search phrases it should be appearing for. So that's what we call the sort of user interaction, you know, is is that content satisfying the user query? And even if that website has all that content that does satisfy the user, is it delivering it in a compelling way? And the tool I mentioned earlier, Call Web Vitals, would help you uh, score your delivery experience of that content. And then we've got the interaction of the internet with your your website and its content. And it's basically 
what the what the um, what the internet thinks of your content. So if your content has a lot of links from high traffic websites, then you're going to score pretty well in the search engine's eyes because that's actually much harder to change on your own compared to say you know the the technical aspects where you just give your web developer a call or your content aspects where you you get your copy writers to actually research and and create the content on your behalf the getting people to actually link to your content and your website that's the that's the challenge interesting now that you mention it and this is something that I've personally dealt with as well. Would would you recommend, uh, what would you recommend, what tips would you recommend when you're briefing a content writer, um, you know, to make, to make sure that your content is SEO friendly? Yeah, so the first thing to do is, is that for any given piece of content, you'll want to know what the keyword targets are, okay? So for example, say it was, marketing podcasts um you'd want to literally search for that in in google and then you'd want to analyze the top 10 pages and then you'd want to see what the common sections are so that would be like your core content that you must have on on um on on your on your page so that's part of the brief uh secondly obviously you'll you'll want to make sure that um uh, you, you include all the relevant, uh, what we call search modifiers, but are actually sort of phrase variations within the title tag. You'd want to make sure that your meta description uh, is is a suitable abstract, summarizing what the copy or the content is with a nice call to action. Uh, you'd want to optimize your page for schema. So making sure it's got all the features. Uh, and also when you Google that target search term, you'd see that there's a lot of um, universal results. So there might be images or there might be a video. So that gives you a really good clue as to whether you should have a video on that page or an audio file, uh, which you probably would need for a term, search term like marketing podcast. Um, yeah, so those I would say are probably your main requirements. So we've heard, or I've heard of uh, the EAT principle, you know, expertise, oh, yeah. authoritative, and, and, and trustworthy. Um, can you tell us more about that and how would you leverage that when you're putting together your content and, and your SEO strategy? Yeah, so um, it really depends on the type of content uh, that you're competing for, or the type of keyword search term that you're competing for. For example, if you've got a medical or a financial site, then Google wants to see that content is written by a qualified writer. So if you're writing on a medical issue, like say what happens when you're 38 weeks pregnant, then it needs to be written by a staff writer who's actually uh, a, a medic or, or, or a doctor. Right, who's, who's actually uh, got And that's the what they want to see. And there has to... Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's very clearly linked from the content to the author page, what their credentials are. So that's what EAT is really addressing. Um, if you've got, if you're doing a review, uh, like say best laptops um, under 500 pounds or something like that, then again, Google wants to see evidence that the writer has had direct experience of the products they're reviewing and is not just a copy paste, re uh, paraphrased from the internet. 
And how does I know this? All this stuff happens in 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 a couple of milliseconds or nanoseconds in the background. But how exactly does it happen? Where does Google go to go to check and verify? Like for this, I mean, for this particular example, somebody who wrote an article about best laptops under five hundred pounds. Thankfully, it's got machine learning algorithms that are able to sort of classify posts that are likely to have been well researched and those that are not. So one of the triggers or the flags might be, does it have a video, you know, and there's enough AI, you know, the technology is already here to be able to pass through videos and see whether uh, the video is, um, whether, whether it, whether it actually has content that pertains to the subject, which is a review of whatever laptop you happen to, or other product that you happen to be reviewing. Okay, would that include citations as well, or just as an example? Yeah, I mean, it will use the audio file mainly as a as a means, and it will can it will when you when you say citations, do you mean links from other sites or? Y yeah, links from other sites. Yeah, so links from other sites. It doesn't need AI, but um, it it will use a variety of signals that kind of help it work out or decide whether a piece of content does have the EAT or doesn't. Okay. And I'm, and the, I'm, I'm assuming this kind of works a, a lot better or not a lot better, but it works kind of over time when it comes to videos. Cause a lot of people now the buying intent is based on what they watch on a YouTube review video. Right? So if, if I'm buying a laptop, I might watch uh, you know, Linus tech tips or MKBHD or one of those tech guys. Yeah. Um, so I'm assuming that the algorithms are kind of understanding that these are the guys, these are the go-to guys when it comes to technology and then serving up that piece of content to people or recommending it to people. Yeah, certainly. Well, because, uh, all of those content creators actually show direct, um, show evidence of direct interaction or experience of the product, they are not going to be hit by the EAT. Whereas your affiliate who wants to make some passive income from their affiliate site by writing an article that sort of talks about the lovely features of the latest MacBook Pro. And actually, you know, you wouldn't be able to tell from the writing whether they actually copy pasted it or actually have experienced it directly. How would one do a bit of SEO and get more views, get more en engagement interaction to YouTube videos? for instance. Yeah. So one of the things you'd want to do is, um, you'd want to make sure you produce a transcript. You'd want, um, some, uh, front and end slides. Uh, you'd want to mention the target keyword, uh, that you're targeting. Um, you'd want it part of the transcript because Google or YouTube, I should say, will listen out for it. Um, so, those are those I would say are the main sort of best practices, if you like, um, for and and also Google, YouTube also rewards um, it also rewards having uh, traffic sent to the website. So if you've actually got traffic coming to the website, and if you include it in things like playlists, so if you categorize your videos and uh, put it as part of playlists and things like that, then it's more likely to be circulated, and the more views it has, the 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 higher it will rank within not only YouTube's algorithm internal search, but also as part of Google's video search, which of course makes use of YouTube. 
kind of reminds me of those old-fashioned uh, government forms that you had to fill and they used to tell you the more details you give us the better are the chances that we, you will get back to you quicker it's kind of like the same principle fundamentally there's there's a lot of talk about you know people who are like vehemently pro long form they're like blog posts really really work for me and i guess this depends from industry to industry from product to product and the quality of the content as well what do you recommend when what what do you recommend people should do more long form or short form and when like when do you use long form and when do you use short form content it really depends on the target keyword that you're targeting so if google is for example if your search term is men's jeans, then long form is not going to work at all. Um, what Google will expect to see are a wide selection of products on the page that loads quickly. Uh, whereas if you're producing a guide, then obviously long form will work well. But even then, um, it has to be delivered in such a way so that mobile users are not facing a wall of text on their tiny screen. So it's that kind of and this is the brilliant thing about data science is you can find out all of these things as to what the brief is to the comp content creator that you're going to hire uh, so that you can get all those specifications just right so that you rank. Right. That's, that's, that's interesting actually, because I was also trying to understand, you know, sometimes when we're putting, putting together content, we also try and understand um, the best way of, kind of putting together content for social media. Cause over the last couple of years, especially LinkedIn, I, when you're looking for professionals, back in the day, you'd find random results on Google. But over the last two, three years, I've noticed that LinkedIn almost always shows up right up at the top. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's a pretty, and not just not just a profile, but uh, these days, it's also articles that that person is is posted, content, video, whatever. And it goes to show that Google's Google's you know trolling the web even more, trying to index more content and trying to find more relevance or give people more relevant content. Um, is there any one particular advice that you'd want to give uh, small businesses, for instance, uh, when it comes to, to SEO? And then how do they tie it into their content? Well, I mean, like the first thing is, is that um, like, you know, know your audience, get the keywords right. Um, and then look at the landscape. Once you understand the landscape, then you can get to work. You know what the critical path is. You know whether you need to focus on your site first, your content, or or maybe you're lacking authority. Um, so it, it's really trying to understand the landscape. Without understanding the landscape, you don't. You're not going to know what to do. A lot of SEO consultants enjoy selling businesses an audit audit because it gives business owners a sense of certainty and security that they're getting something tangible uh, from something that's quite un uh, seemingly intangible uh, being SEO. So an audit often gives them that kind of that, that tangibility. Uh, but the trouble is a technical site audit may not address your questions. It might be that um, it, it might be that you're, you're, uh, you're lacking content in the right areas or you're lacking uh, authority. So really, um, it's really all down to understand the landscape and that will inform your strategy. Once you know the strategy, you know how to move forward. That's very, very good advice. All right, so uh, we're gonna head into the, uh, the rapid fire round. Take your time, but not too much time. 
let them be random random answers are you ready yeah here goes um what do you do when you're not working uh, i like to read i like to meditate play backgammon uh, and i enjoy cooking and going for walks in the hills so what book are you currently reading uh, i'm reading positioning for advantage uh, which is obviously about market positioning. I forget who it's by, but it's a good book. Uh, I, the other book I quite Very like cool. is How Brands Grow by Byron Sharp. It's like the Bible at ad planning agencies. Yeah, I've I've heard of that. So my next question was going to be, what's your fa all time favorite book? Is that would would you say that is or? Uh, yeah, no, I, book? I, I think one of my all time favorite books. Uh, well, I quite like philosophy, so it would have to probably be Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. I think that's a pretty good one. What's your favorite podcast? Uh, this one. <laughs> cool, man. Right answer. <laughs> it's always the right answer. Uh, so what is, what is the first job you ever had? <laughs> uh, I was waitering in my parents' restaurant. Yeah. So yeah. you had been experienced in the service industry already. Uh, yes, yes. All right. So now uh, this is going to be more applicable to you more than anyone else, uh, any of the other guests, because you're into trends okay. and data science and stuff. What's the one uh, trend in marketing or business that you feel is going to explode exponentially in 2023? That's a really, really, really difficult one. I think we're going to see a lot more automation, not just, I think we're going to see automation everywhere. Uh, I think, um, Something that's already kind of bubbling is that obviously we're preparing for a cookie-less world. So that's going to send a lot of um, advertisers to the dark ages about how well they know the customer. I think we're going to see, as a result, a lot more kind of generic um, advertising messages. So as a result, we're going to see a lot more scale and with scale comes automation because advertisers are not going to know their audiences as well as they used to. So they're not going to be able to deliver tailored ad messages as they used to. So obviously they're going to have to be a bit more generic and, and then uh, that's going to allow them to scale. And then they're going to rely on automation to, to do that. What's the one trend, uh, one trend that you think is going to fail in 2023? I don't, I don't, I don't really see something as successful failure i just see something as a trend or, or it, it is a trend or isn't a trend so um yeah so the failure is is the ability of personalization um the success will be the scale that's interesting because i mean for the last for the longest time for the last five years ten years everyone's saying oh we need to hyper personalize and there's there's a certain um you know you, you can only go so far with hyper personalization uh, because then mm. you've got to weave in, in, in things like AI and machine learning and having to understand what exact, how, how people are reacting to content and then address them based on, you know, the, the kind of content that they're reacting to. Do you, I, are you saying that personalization is a bit overrated right now? Yeah, I, I don't think it's overrated. I just think it's going to become a lot more difficult, especially for these sort of brands at the sort of enterprise end. They're just going to find it a lot harder because, uh, because of cookie uh, because of the cookie world we're about to enter. 
you know, a Apple, for example, has stopped uh, has has stopped cookies. So that that's uh, that's only going to get uh, that's only going to get worse, really. Yeah, cookies, and I, I think even I think um, read read receipts and delivery deliverability receipt, receipts and stuff have been stopped, right? And I guess that's that's just Apple. I, I, I'm I'm thinking more and more companies are going to start doing that. So it's going to get more. It's going to get difficult for marketers to get access to that data. So what did you want to be? What did you want to be when you were growing up? An astronaut. Okay. Weird. Weirdly enough, I I don't know if this is a general thing, but I wanted to be an astronaut too. Uh, but then again, I'm I'm pretty old. I grew up in the 80s, 90s, and there was a lot of Star <laughs> Trek stuff going on at the time. So I was pretty, yeah. Yeah, I I think yeah, I think for me it was the best Star Trek. Ah, yes, okay. um, Late 90s <laughs> or, or mid 90s. And then that soon yeah. changed to uh, to Stockbroker. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. That's an interesting shift. Who's the most inspiring business person or entrepreneur or, or marketer or you know, business personality that you look up to? I really struggle because um, I'm just really trying to learn from um, my own experiences. Like, uh, if anything, I would draw inspiration by peers uh, who have struggled and made it, um, made some, made their businesses work, and you know, they're not famous. So, um, I tend to draw more inspiration from those people. Yeah, that, I mean, yeah, that that's a lot of people are, are getting to be more like that now, I guess. I mean, back in the day, everyone's like, I want to be like this guy. I look up to this guy, but you don't have to. You can learn from your own, from your own experience. So that's a very good answer. I like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I learned from my friends' experiences as well, but I could name their names. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that makes that, that makes even better sense because now you're not, you're not learning from celebrities or, or, or those kind of people. You're learning from real life people that you grew up with or that you know on a first name basis and you're friends with. So I think that's more of a learning experience than anything else. Because I think a lot of times those, whatever you read in people's biographies and what do you, what do you see on social media, a lot of that can be fabricated. It is. And also it's a one-sided view. Um, you know, there's a thing called survivorship bias where they, they, uh, well, they're, they're, they're successful because they survived, but actually you can often learn for those, from those who failed. That's one of the, you see, one of the things about this podcast is again, I don't want to diss any of my guests or anything, but it's not about just getting super successful people, but it's also getting people who've kind of failed a bunch of times and then achieved success. Cause I want to draw more because like they say, you draw more from your failures than from your successes. Um, mm. you know, so, so that's, that's kind of a bit of a learning. So if there's somebody out there who, you know, who is about to make a particular mistake and they listen to this podcast with, with regard to SEO and they listen to this podcast and go, Hey, you know, that's a pretty good tip. Maybe I should take this guy's advice. That's, you know, mm. that's one person that we've quote unquote saved. You know? Yeah, indeed. Well, I'm, I'm all for saving people. Same here. So um, what is, what does success mean to you? Uh, I think success is really um, being comfortable in your own skin, uh, seeing living life on your terms and really appreciating it i mean yeah it's really hard to define for me i mean i think if you wake up every day you feel really rested and you know that's a pretty good definition i mean being comfortable in your own skin and being happy where you are that's to, to a lot of people i think the newer generation that is that is a pretty good definition of success i mean back in the day it was always you know fame and fortune and things like that but now i think people are getting more 
they're becoming realists money amplifies attitudes and behavior so i don't think throwing money at a person uh necessarily makes them more successful i think for me it's more of a case of self-actualization and and feeling feeling quite content you know i mean it's not about being happy all the time if someone uh, you know rips your mobile phone out of your hand while whilst you're walking along the street you know you can't just say i am happy yeah it's it's painful when that happens but i don't have to suffer i don't have to go why me blah 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 you know it's just like okay that happened what what's next you know that's pretty cool i was actually just reading this uh, a couple of days ago about uh, you know, people going through different things in life and there's redemptive mentality and captive mentality, whatever you want to call it. So there's people that just go and blame the situation. They blame the environment, they blame other people and they put a negative, negative stand and negative sort of uh, connotation of the story. And then there's these other people that go through this exact same circumstance, but they come out on the positive side and they, they're, they're more about the redemptiveness of that. You know, oh, I learned from this experience. It made me emotionally stronger. It, ma it made me physically stronger or smarter or whatever. So I think you need to figure out which one of those persons you want to be. I truly believe that your relationship with yourself, is, you know, will transfer to your relationship with the world. And so I guess, you know, self-actualization or being self-actualized is really the true definition of success for me. That was a great answer. And uh, yeah, nowhere near the rapid fire time limit, but it was a pretty good answer nonetheless. Um, Thank you. So let's get back to rapid firing now. Um, so what's your what's your favorite uh, social media platform right now? Uh, Insta. Well, it depends. My guilty pleasure is Insta. And for, uh, for work, it would be LinkedIn. Probably Facebook. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just too cool for Facebook, but um i yeah, don't know it's a bit of a love I, relationship i can you know? never get into snapchat for some reason yes yeah, that snapchat is cool but you know i it has something novel about it facebook i don't know um i think it's a bit old hat now i think for most of us facebook is more of a generational thing like it was pretty cool yeah. uh when it came out but then you know now it's kind of like you know we are kind of too cool for school Kind of, you know, Pretty so much. you know, why go back? Facebook is kind of regressive to a lot of people, especially when there's more. You know, where there's tools like Instagram and, and and TikTok. If you didn't need to sleep, what would you do with the extra time? Probably work. Okay. Don't want to get into how old you are right now, but let's assume that we had a time machine and we put Andreas in a time machine and send you back to when you were 18, because everyone says 18 is kind of like a very pivotal time in one's life. What would you say to your 18-year-old yeah. self? Study maths, philosophy, and computing. Okay. Did you study either of those? I studied economics, which had a very oh. um, mathematical component, but uh, I think maths would have given me more of the more of the sort of rigor uh, that I've returned to. Kind of like more of a quant. Yeah, yeah. But philosophy, I think, is important. It's not just what you do with the data is the questions you ask of the data. And also when I retrained in AI machine learning and data science, it not only changed the way I looked at SEO, it also changed the way I looked at the world. So uh, I think it's quite, it's quite fundamental. So early on, I said a bit of advice you want to give to people who are getting into SEO and stuff right now. I want you to give us very quickly a bit of advice 
uh, as an entrepreneur, as as founder of Artios, as somebody who's running your own business, you know, working your own hours, managing people, dealing with clients all over all over the world. What would be that one bit of advice you'd want to give to existing and aspiring entrepreneurs? Uh, get systems for everything. So have a system for marketing, have a system for customer delivery, customer experience, have a system for absolutely everything. Cause, um, the more systems you have, then the more likely you're going to succeed. Even if the system is not great, it can always be improved upon, but until you have a system, you're never going to grow. Would you, okay. So when you say systems, do you mean actual like software systems or actually have a system, like a framework and operating? Framework? No, no, just a, a process, a, pro okay. a process. Okay. I mean, obviously in, in the day and age, because we're not in the, we're not living in the Roman age. So it would probably involve system, uh, software, but just make sure you have a, you know, you start putting in systems and infrastructure into your business because that's what makes a business a business. That is actually very, very sound advice. And I wish somebody had given me that advice when I was starting out, because a lot of the times I see, I think there's so many different kinds of entrepreneurs and one kind of entrepreneur, many of these people fit into this category. They're the people that are pushed into entrepreneurship. They've always wanted to do it by themselves, but they're either, you know, they were, they were made redundant or, you know, they got fired or they just quit. They had enough of life and they said they want to do something on their own but they're kind of like time bound and they want to make things work as soon as possible because, you know, they have mouths to feed, rent, uh, bills to pay and things like that. And they just get into doing things because that's what they have to do. And they don't really focus on the systems. And I think what you've said is, is perfect because uh, in year two or year three of, of my life as an entrepreneur, that's when I realized, man, I, you know, all this ad hoc stuff is great because it shows that I'm on the ball and I'm moving along with the times. But I definitely need to work on having uh, systems in place. Uh, and that's when in year two, towards the end of year two of my entrepreneurship sort of journey, that's when I kind of began to focus on, you know, setting up, and I'm a small business, but, you know, things like setting up an, a CRM and setting up a proper email system mm -hmm. and having those processes in place and email outreach and doing all that infrastructural kind of setup. It doesn't have to cost an arm and a leg. But having that infra infrastructural setup kind of really helps you scale quicker um, and, and just, just be more organized as a small business. Yeah, absolutely. And when setting that system up, pay an expert to go and yep. help you set that up. You know, get educated in it. Once you get educated, and if you hire someone, whether it's an SEO consultant or, or uh, a marketing automation expert, interview about 40 to 50 of them, you're going to get a very good idea of how good they are, how they charge, um, you know, how they explain things, whether you're likely to enjoy working with them. If you interview anything between 40 to 50, being very data science -y about right. it, you're going to get a really good idea about who's good, who isn't, and who's likely to work for you. Yeah, that's actually, and you're also going to get reality it, check about how it works. That that actually makes total sense. And I know personally, I know a lot of founders, a lot of startup entrepreneurs. You know, they're like, yeah, we want to do that, but we just don't have the time. So they'll just interview like maybe five people and then base their decision off of those five. But I think your way, your way, uh, some people might find it a little bit more impractical because hey, I don't have the time to interview fifty people, especially if they're running a business that's like you know they're they're in meetings. And I know a lot of these founders, a lot of the startup founders that that we work with at Next Gen Digital, they're they're people that 
literally, if you look at their calendar, they're booked out for like three weeks at a stretch with literally 15 minutes here and there to spare. So for people like those, they're like, oh, we don't have time to, yeah. to interview, I don't know, 50 people uh, because we need somebody to fill in this position really quick. Um, but I, I, I would go on record to say invest in that time because this isn't, it's going to be worth it in the end. It's the difference between you finding the perfect person totally. for that job and finding a total idiot that is going to screw up whatever you have. Exactly. And you lose time and momentum as a result. So it is worth the investment. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And, 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 the and cost while we're, of prevention is much lower than. Yeah. And while we're on this subject, I also want to say, uh, although I know I asked you this question, but you know, people that are listening always put some, put some, you know, set aside some cash for this, because I think there's so many of these people that are fantasizing about starting businesses and they're like, I want to be an entrepreneur. Uh, and if they hear these stories about, oh, you know, all these so-called gurus that send emails out to people saying, hey, I, I had $27 in my bank account and I started this business and that's great for them, but it's, you know, it's a once in a million uh chance that that's going to happen to you you need to have a bit of cash to invest even if you can develop a product for free you still need to market and get traction for that product so you need to invest some money uh oh totally yeah i'm, I'm just so fed up of hearing all these people come out and saying hey I, I i have a zero zero investment business then i'm i'm a millionaire very very rarely does that happen yeah it, it's crazy isn't it it's like you have a car if you think of your business as a car and you want it to travel ten thousand miles or a hundred thousand miles, you're going to need to put some petrol in it. It's that simple. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and do some maintenance as well. <laughs> Great. Thanks very much uh, for joining us, Andreas. This was actually one of the more educational ones. Cause a lot of the times, you know, I'm getting other people's perspective on things when it comes to branding and video and this and that and content, whatever. But I think this has been quite educational uh, for me and hopefully the viewers and the listeners i'm getting used to saying the word viewers uh, viewers and the listeners will find that uh, super insightful as well everyone thanks very much for joining us on the talk and growth podcast this is your host barry rodriguez i'm going to put some links if you're watching this on youtube i'm going to put some links in the description below if not we'll try and put some show notes on um spotify page or whatever you consume your podcast until we see you the next time stay safe stay awesome Thanks for listening to the Talking Growth Podcast. For more insights on growth for your business or career, you can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify.